You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning, and... um... I just let me take a minute and introduce myself so you know who uh, I'm speaking to you this morning. Again, my name is Jeff Bice. I've been on staff at Bethel about 10 years, uh, starting at the South Campus when South Campus was the only Bethel. And uh, been, it's been an amazing journey to now uh, five campuses, and uh, I get to be the missions pastor, connecting all those campuses uh, with the world. And um, yeah, I'm just... Uh, a regular guy. I, I grew up uh, in Texas. I've been here my whole uh, time. Well, a brief stint in Ohio. And uh, I met my lovely wife. So everybody turn and look. Stephanie, right on the back row there. Um, so we've been married for 27 years, something close to that. Um, and we have three kids. Uh, my oldest is... Uh, Graduated from college, he got a job back here working full-time at Pine Cove. He is the men's director at the uh, Woods Camp. So he is back, so that's kind of fun for us. And then our other two daughters are gone. So we are in this kind of uh, empty nest, quasi-empty nest world. Um, our middle daughter, uh, she is a senior now, strange, at uh, Stanford University in Birmingham, Alabama. So she plays soccer there. And she's really bummed her, because of corona, the fall soccer season uh, for Division I soccer got moved. So it's postponed maybe to the spring. Um, but anyway, her senior year, so she's not happy. Um, our second daughter, our youngest daughter, Maddie, is a sophomore at the University of Alabama. So somehow, being a Texas guy, I failed, and all my kids uh, went to Alabama for college. So I, I'm, I have to confess that. So... Um, anyway, we, um, man, you know, hobbies for me, probably like a lot of you, um, they start to grow into what my family loves, right? So I became, um, the crazy soccer dad because my girls and my kids, they're all soccer people. Um, and so I started to love soccer. I really do. It's a great sport. And I didn't really ever really play soccer, but I started to love the things that my kids loved. And my hobbies, honestly, have been just what my family likes to do. So going to sport and activities, um, catching up with them. And you know, another thing that's true of me is I start to love all sorts of things that my wife loved that I, I didn't. So the more time I spend loving her, the more things that I start to like that I didn't know I liked. Um, and I'd say, you know, all of us are here this morning at some level because we love God, right? I mean, we would say, we show up at church, we love God, we want to, I guess, if we're Christians, right, if we have placed our faith in Christ, who lived on this earth, died on the cross, was buried according to scriptures, raised again on the third day according to scriptures, if we believe that, we placed our faith in Christ, then we are his, right? We, we love him. We, the more we get to know him, the more we love what he loves. So my question for you this morning is, what does God love? Well, we know 
John 3, 16, he loves me, right? God loves me. He loves you. Um, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious. God loves all the little children of the world. So we know God loves lots of things. But what does God love the most? What is the thing that is the preeminent thing on God's mind, on his heart? What does he love the most? And this may sound a little strange to you, but can I tell you what God loves the most? He loves himself the most. He loves his own glory. Now, that sounds weird, right? If it were us, it would be wrong. But because, think about it for one second, there is nothing higher. There is nothing better. There is nothing that's worth loving anymore. So God is the supreme. He is the best. There's nothing higher, nothing more worthy. And so it makes sense that the thing that God loves is his own glory, his own fame, his reputation. So this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about what God loves, and that's his glory. So the prophet Habakkuk, he says this in Habakkuk 2.14, says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So it's going to happen, the prophet Habakkuk says, the world, the earth, is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Every part of this globe is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So this morning, I want to show you, I think from Scripture, um, this golden thread that pulls all of the Bible together. The whole thing, from Genesis to Revelation. And one of the things that I love about Bethel, we've been here as a family for a long time. I love that Bethel picks a book of the Bible, a passage, and we go through the Bible verse by verse in an expository manner. We are serious about looking into God's Word and understanding what it says. Um, but every now and then, and today is one of those days, we're going to take a step back and kind of look at a panorama of all of Scripture. We're going uh, to not miss the forest for the trees, right? Sometimes that happens. When we get deep into a book we're going verse by verse by verse, and sometimes we don't see how that ties into the big picture. How does this fit into what God's doing, his global purpose? So today is one of these days, panoramic view, and we're going to cover a lot of scripture today. So it'll, it should be on the screens if the screens uh, will work, but the panoramic view of um, God's word. So let me tell you, um, we're going to talk about God's glory today, and glory is one of those religious words that we got to be careful with, right? It means a lot, but then sometimes those religious words, they can start to mean nothing. Like, what does glory mean? Sounds good. So what the essence of glory is, is worth, weight, significance, substance, value, worthiness. So when you think glory, think of worth worthiness, weight. And as I said earlier, God is the most worthy. He is the most significant. He is the highest and best. And so as we see in Scripture today, um, this golden thread of God's glory from Genesis to Revelation, I want you to realize the worth and the weight and the value and the significance that God places on his own glory. You know, it's the question... Um, 
That is the very first question in the Westminster Catechism. If any of you ever learned that, in the 1600s, the Westminster Catechism asked this question. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? And you may know the answer, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the catechism, the Westminster Catechism. It's the question. The chief end of man. What is man's purpose? Why are we here? Well, it's to glorify God and enjoy him. And as John Piper puts a twist on it, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. So God's glory, it's tied into our enjoyment and his honoring, his satisfa- our satisfaction in him. So the next verse, um, I just want to show you that it ends up working, right? Revelation 7, 9. Um, our verses back, no, let me read uh, Revelation 7, 9. John is before the throne, and he sees uh, in heaven the reality of this, that there are people before the throne from every tribe, every tongue, every language. They are there before the throne worshiping God. So what does that tell us, the end in Revelation? That there are worshipers. There are people giving glory to God before the throne from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all the earth. So let's start now. In Genesis, and I'm going to go fast, so don't have to look up. Uh, you don't need to look up all these verses, but I want you to realize that in Genesis 1, um, 28. So this is before the fall. This is what God, after He creates man, He creates all things. He says to Adam and Eve, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." Right. So this is before sin. So what's in God's mind? He's asking Adam and Eve to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Well, you have to know that Adam and Eve's relationship with God at this point is a, a relationship where they are worshiping him, right? They're, there's no sin. So as they worship him, as they are fruitful and fill the earth, God's envisioning this whole earth filled with worshipers, the whole earth filled with those giving him glory. And we know as God created us that, that he said, let's make man in our image, right? And God deposited in us a piece, a form of his glory. And so as the earth is filled with worshipers and those glorifying him, from the very beginning in Genesis, God says, be fruitful and fill the earth. Well, we know how that goes, right? Sin enters the world. Man does not glorify God as he's supposed to. And so it gets really bad. And then the flood happens, right? Wipes out the earth. God has Noah and his family, and he says, You know what he tells Noah and his family when they come off the ark? He says the same thing. In uh, Genesis 9, 1, he says to Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The same thing he just told Adam and Eve. He's he's serious about the earth being filled with his glory. And he tells them again in in Genesis 9, 7, just in case he didn't get it. So two times, Genesis 9, 1 and 9, 7, the same thing from God. Be fruitful and multiply and fill. Fill the earth. Fill the earth with worshipers. Fill the earth with those giving him glory. Well, how does that go for Noah and his family? And just two chapters later, we come to chapter 11 in Genesis, and this is the story of Babel, right? So the Tower of Babel, you guys know what happened there? The people said the exact opposite thing of what God had just told Noah. Here's what they say in Genesis 11, verse 4. Genesis 11, verse 4. Come, Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. 
so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. So do you get this? God says, fill the earth, scatter, make worshipers over everywhere. And what do the people say? Man, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's not be scattered. Let's do what we need to do to keep ourselves from being scattered and filling the earth. So what does God do at Babel? You guys know the story. He comes down, he confuses the languages, and there at Babel, people started to scatter and fill the earth because of God made all these different languages and cultures. So in the very next chapter, we are introduced to, in Genesis chapter 12, a guy named Abram, right? The Abrahamic covenant is at the very beginning of Genesis. And here's what Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says. Um, God says to Abram, leave your country, your kindred, and your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, this is what God said. He picked Abram, and he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to ask you first to leave your family, leave your place. I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation. And in you, because of this blessing, all the families, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. How is that possible? Well, we know that all the families of the earth can be blessed because of the descendant of Abraham, who is Jesus, right? Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of how the families of the earth can be blessed. But see, we're just to Genesis 12, and I've already told you four or five different passages, stories that you've heard that show God is serious about his name being worshipped among the nations. He is serious about his glory being spread over the whole earth. And so much so that he repeated the same thing he told to Abraham, he repeated it to his son, Isaac, and to his son, Jacob. And we know who Jacob is. Jacob his other name is Israel, right? He's the father of the 12 sons. Um, we know that story. He goes into Israel or he goes into Egypt. Um, they live, and then it turns not so great into slavery, and they're in bondage in uh, Egypt. And here's all these uh, plagues and the things start happening. And here's what God says through Moses to the Pharaoh. He says this uh, in Exodus 9:16. God says that I've raised you up, he's talking to Pharaoh, I've raised you up for the very purpose that I might display to you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Right? So this is why God has Pharaoh and slavery and all the things and the plagues and all that. God tells Pharaoh, I've raised you up for this purpose so that my name would be proclaimed in all the earth. God is still about the same purpose. He wants his glory to fill the earth. And then just a few chapters later, beginning of Deuteronomy, um, the people, they've been taken out through the Red Sea. They've seen all of these amazing wonders. God's providing manna for them in in the wilderness. Things are happening, and they start complaining and grumbling and murmuring. And God is ready to just kind of, again. But Moses, he goes and he pleads for them. And he says, Lord, what if you do this? What are the nations going to say? And here's what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. God says to Israel, Observe and carefully obey these decrees and laws, 
Um, for this will show the wisdom and understanding to the nations, right? So God, as he gives the laws and he gives the decrees, he is doing that so the nations will know. Um, well, we, then let's get into, I'm just, I'm trucking you guys through the Old Testament. We're, we're going fast. Are you, are you tracking with me? You guys, you know these stories, so I don't need to elaborate, but his plan from the beginning, from Adam, all the way through, now we are in Israel, and we're about to start seeing the kings, it's all for his glory to be, the whole reason he picked Israel is so that the world would see what does it look like for a nation that follows God, for God to be glory, uh, glorified. Well, so one of our favorite characters, and this is a story, let's go through some of our Bible stories from Sunday school, right? David and Goliath, great story. Everybody knows Man, Goliath, the Philistine giant that was defying the armies of the living God. David shows up, bringing food for his brothers. He says, what is happening? This isn't right. Grabs stones, runs in, slays the giant. And here's what David says in 1 Samuel 17, 46. After he kills him, so that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Right? So I'm sure you've heard the story of David and Goliath, but did you know why? Here's the why. So that the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. So the next time you're teaching Sunday school or you're talking about this story with your kids, make sure you add the ending, right? There's all sorts of lessons to be taught about slaying giants and all those things, but the whole purpose of the story is that God's name and his glory would be known in all the earth. That's what he says. Well, then David's son, you guys know, is Solomon, and Solomon prays for one thing, wisdom. And you know why God gave him wisdom? Here's what it says in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 34. It says, because of Solomon's wisdom and what God was doing in Israel, people from all nations came to listen to his wisdom. Do you get that? People from all nations came to Israel to hear about Solomon's wisdom. So again, God's purpose in making Solomon wise was for God's own glory, for his own fame, so that the nations would come. The Queen of Sheba, all these people we know, they came to see and, and understand what God was doing. All right, we're still going. Now we're into Daniel, one of our, a couple of our favorite stories, right? The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. So here's the setting, right? Um, the king over... Uh, Babylon at this time is Nebuchadnezzar, right? So the Babylonian Empire, they had conquered hundreds of peoples and cultures. This was a vast empire, the Babylonian Empire. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, you know the story says, build this altar or this idol, worship me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no way. Fiery furnace, seven times hotter. The guards take him in, the guards get burned up, they get cast into the furnace, and they look, the king Nebuchadnezzar looks in the furnace, and what does he see, right? Four guys. Who's the extra guy? They're all fine. They come out. They don't even smell smoky. King Nebuchadnezzar makes this decree in Daniel chapter 3, verses 28 and 29, to the Babylonian Empire, right? The nations of the earth at that time. He decrees that any people, nation, or language that could speak anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he goes on to say some bad things are going to happen to them, right? But the story here is Nebuchadnezzar writes a decree to all the land 
that no one can say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, again, getting glory. This is the result of the fiery furnace story. Then just a few chapters later, Daniel, so at this time in history, King Darius, he came in and they conquered uh, the Babylonian Empire. And so now you have the Persian Empire. Bigger, stronger, more fierce, the Persian Empire, King Darius. And then we have the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? So Daniel, people trap him, he prays anyway. The king signs this decree, has to put Daniel in the lion's den. He does, he sleeps, he doesn't sleep all night. The king, Darius, is worried. He shows up early in the morning, and Daniel's fine, right? He comes out, and here's what King Darius decrees to the world. He says this in Daniel 6, 25 and 26. He says, uh, there, then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who are living in all the land. May your peace abound, and I make a decree that in, my, in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Right? So King Darius writes this decree to the whole world and says, Everyone is to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. So what's God about? See, now we, so we started in uh, Genesis, and we've made our way, we're into Daniel, and it's a consistent thread. God is about his glory, about his fame, about his reputation being declared in the whole world, in all the nations. Did you know that in the Psalms, one-third of all the Psalms, even the call to worship we read, it, it's about the nations. It's about... God's glory being declared in all the earth. Um, so Psalm 46.10 is uh, one of my favorite verses. Maybe you've heard it before. You might be able to finish this verse. It says, be still and know that I am God. But that's not really the end of the verse, right? It says, be still and know that I am God. And it says, and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be declared among all the earth, exalted among all the earth. So Psalm 46.10, somehow it is, we memorize the first part, but we skip the second part, right? So be still and know that I am God, yes, but why? So that I will be declared and exalted among the nations. I want to read Psalm 67 to you. Listen to this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with justly and lead the nations of the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Right? You guys hear that? God blesses us that all the ends of the earth will fear him. This psalm, and, and a third of all the psalms, they're saying the same message, the same golden thread that starts in Genesis. It's all about God's glory and his name, his reputation. So is there anything better? There's nothing better. He is the most wonderful, the most glorious, the most awesome, the most powerful, the all-wise, almighty, all-knowing, omnipotent God. We serve the best. We serve, there's nothing better. That's the reality. So 
I could, hopefully you get the gist, I could keep going through the Bible and we could cover every, uh, every book of the Bible. It's all about God's glory and God's fame. So I want to skip forward to, um, here we are in 2020, right? The year of the pandemic. Um, how are we doing? What's the status of the world? Um, the reality, and maybe you guys know this, uh, anybody know what's the population of the world today? 7.8, great, good guess. You're in the right billion category. 7.8 billion people in the world, right? That's a lot of people. So how are we doing on declaring his glory among all 7.8 billion? Well, thankfully, we can group those people into smaller groupings because 7.8 billion is a lot. So if you take those people and you look at all the peoples in the earth and you say, how many people groupings can we find of people that speak the same language, they have the same culture, the customs, the things that they do, they buy, sell, trade, how many groups of people are there that have those similarities? Well, there are um, about 9,800 groups. 9, so we can know that. In 2020, we can kind of assess the world and say there are 9,800 groupings of people. But if you take those groupings and then you divide them by the number of countries they live in, right, because... Uh, every country is not just made up of one people, one tribe, one ethnicity. Those people have scattered, and they're, they're mixed up all over the world. So if you view it through that, if you add in that geopolitical boundary on top of that 9,800, you end up with 17,400 people groups. And a people group, as I said, it's just a grouping of people that language, customs, cultures, trade, all those things happen smoothly within them. So here we are. 2020, 17,400 people groups. We know in Revelation what's going to happen, right? There's going to be people from all of those people groups giving praise to the Lord. It's going to happen. But where do we sit in 2020? How many of those people groups are Christian? Well, there are about 10,000 of those people groups where the church is sufficiently established that there are enough Christians in that people group that they can share the gospel with their own people group. So in missions world, we call that, um, the definition for an unreached people group is about 2%. So if there's 2% of the population in a people group that loves Jesus, then that's maybe enough of resource for them to start growing and expanding. But a lot of times, those two percenters, they still need outside resources. They still need missionaries to come. But So that's good, right? 10,000 groups, they already have the church established. So if you did the math, which you don't get to see any of the benefit of the math that I did for you, um, that leaves 7,400 people groups, 7,000 that we would say are unreached. That means they don't have a church. They don't... A lot of them have a Bible in their language. They don't know anybody who follows Jesus. In fact, in some of these people groups, they don't know anybody who knows anybody, who knows anybody who's a Christian. So they can live, be born their whole life, and never meet anybody who's ever met a Christian. So that's kind of a sobering reality. How many people are in that group? 
Well, it's about 42% population-wise, 3.25 billion. 3.25 billion live in those unreached people groups. 42% of the world's population live in a place like I just described, unreached. So, let me, let me uh, ask you guys to follow me on an illustration. Let's say I'm the president of the Coca-Cola company, right? And let's say I hire you for a very high-level position. You are the executive vice president of global marketing. Your job, from the board of directors down, is that we want every person on the planet to be able to have a Coca-Cola product. That's your mission. And you know what? Because you're skilled, you have a huge budget. You have a huge staff. You have thousands of people that work for you under your direction. And you have great resources. And your job is to make sure everybody on the planet has the chance to drink a Coca-Cola. Now, they don't, they don't have to love it. They don't have to, but we want them to ha at least have a taste, right? So if this is your job, what would you do? You would probably say, okay, bring me the facts. Bring your top people in. They would tell you, here's where Coke is. And let me, this is the goal of Coca-Cola, actually, right? And they are in almost every country of the world, except for, I think, Cuba. There's a couple that said, we don't want you. But almost every country in the world has Coca-Cola products. So your job is to make sure everybody gets a chance to taste one. So what would you ask? Where's the places that already have a bunch of Coca-Cola, and how can we get them to drink more? That's not your job. Your job is to let every person on the planet have access to Coca-Cola. So you would look at the map. You would say, where do people not have Coke? And then let's send resources. Let's send people. Let's use our most creative marketing strategies. Let's figure out how to get Coke in the hand of every person in the planet. You would do that because you're a smart person, right? Well, the church has been given the same kind of mission, the same challenge. And that is what God told Adam and Eve, what he told Noah, what he, his consistent purpose, which is to make his glory known among all the nations. And we can look at a map and we can say, where are the places in the world where those 7,000 people groups live where there are no churches? And if we are smart, we'll say, let's figure out how to take the gospel to those places where the church isn't, right? So the missionary question isn't, where are there lost people? Because there's lost people everywhere. The missionary question is, where are there people with no Christians? And that's where we want to go. We want to target our efforts on the places where there are no Christians. Now, if that starts working, you'll see a map. And on that map, there is a picture of the world. And it's organized by reached and unreached people groups. And I have to tell you, if you looked at that map, you would see that most of the world is reached. There's a lot of places that are green. Pretty much all of North America and South America are in the green category. They are reached countries. Really, if you go across Europe and Africa, mostly they're reached. If you go to Australia, some of the far Oceania areas, they're reached. Up in Russia, they're pretty reached. But you know where all the unreached people groups mostly are? They are in an area of our world called the 1040 window. So this 1040 window, it just the reason we use it is because it creates a, a, a box on the map. 
It's really the lines of longitude, or no, latitude run sideways, right? From 10 degrees north to 40 degrees north. That band, really, from North Africa all the way across through India, or all the Central Asian countries, all the Uzbekistans and Turkmenistans, through um, India, through China, uh, down to uh, on the far the far end is like Japan. So that band in the map is where we call the 1040 window, which is where the unreached people groups mostly are. And you'll, you're also smart, and you realize that that band, that's also where most of the world religions are head, head, headquartered, founded, right? So you have the whole Muslim world. You have the whole Hindu world. You have the whole Buddhist world. You have communist, atheistic China in the midst of that. So this part of our world where most of the unreached people groups are, they're unreached, but they're not empty, right? They've been filled with false religion. They have been, from the time they're born, they have been told that this is how we worship. But they are not giving glory to God. They are not worshiping and acknowledging him. As they follow Islam, they are not going to be before the throne. So our job uh, is to be obedient to Christ. And you know what? We know it's going to happen, right? In Revelation, it's going to be there. So here's some resources that we have. I want you guys to realize that just like God blessed Abraham, he blessed us. He says, we have received a blessing, even that Psalm 67 we read. We've received a blessing so that we can be a blessing. You've been blessed to be a blessing. And you might say, well, I'm not blessed especially. But let me say you are. We are so blessed. You probably passed five churches on your way here this morning, right? There's Christian radio. There, you probably have multiple Bibles in multiple translations at home. Or for sure you do on your phone, right? We have internet access. We have so many resources at our disposal. The reality is we are very blessed. And here's a couple of things that you may not know. Did you know that if you earn, let me make sure I tell you the right number, $50,000 a year, if you, your household income is over $50,000 a year, you're in the top 1.5 wealthy people, 1.5% uh, of the highest wealth in the world, right? If you make $50,000 a year, if you make $30,000 a year, you are in the top 4.5. Hey, look, there's the 1040 window, right? So did I describe it right? North Africa, across the Middle East, India. Yeah, so there you go. And there's where the homes of those world religions are. So we are now onto your blessing and my blessing, right? We've been blessed we have been given so many resources. And can I just remind you of uh, 1 Peter 4.10? Um, this passage says that each of us have received a gift. We've each been gifted. God made you and gifted you. You have talents. You have um, been given gifts. But here's what 1 Peter 4.10 says. Our gifts and our blessings, they're not for us. God doesn't bless us for ourselves. He blesses us for others. Your whole reason in receiving gifts and talents is because God has blessed you to be a blessing. So here's the last reality, and that is you are blessed, but you are also sent. God is a sending God. So 
As we read in Genesis 12, God sent Abraham. We know John 3, God sent his son, Jesus. God sent Jesus. God, when Jesus was leaving, he said he was going to send the Holy Spirit. God is a sending God. He, Jesus, when he was walking around with his disciples, he sent them out two by two, right? So as a part of God's nature, he's sending. He's always sending. And the reality is, he sent you too. He sent me. We are those who live sent by God. So how do we know that? Well, there are five commissioning statements. Five commissioning statements that we read in the New Testament. Each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, they all have a commissioning statement. And that commission is for me and you. We are commissioned. So what are our commissions? Matthew 28, um, 18 through 20 says, uh, it's the Great Commission, right? Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission, make disciples of all nations. And can I tell you that, that word all nations in the Greek it's a, it's a phrase, it's panta te ethne. Ethne, you hear that, ethne? So ethne, that's where we get our word ethnic, ethnic group. So Jesus says, go and make disciples of all ethnic groups, all groups. This is the commission, the great commission that we've received. Well, in Mark 16, 15, the same commission, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. In Luke 24, 45 and 47, as repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Acts 1.8 says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Five commissioning statements. It's on God's heart. We are sent to make his glory known among all the eight nations. And so you may be saying, like I am, well, I live here. This is where I am. And it's true, you are sent here. But can I tell you that you are also sent to the nations? It is what Acts 1.8 says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? So if you know your conjunction junctions, right, it's an and, right? It's not an then, you're not going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem then in Judea. It's not, or you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria. No, it is you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. It's locally and globally simultaneously, right? This is what we are commissioned to do, to be engaged locally and globally simultaneously. So I hope that you have seen from Genesis to Revelation God's theme, his glory, his fame being spread among the nations. So what do you do? Here we are. Here we sit at Bethel White House. So what I would propose is that all of us in this day, as we understand that God is looking for worshipers, he's looking for his glory to be known, we can all be a part of that. Every single person in this room, we, if we love Jesus, we can be a global Christian. We can be a part of that. So there are, um, what we have around Bethel, five habits of a world Christian. Five things that every Christian can do. These aren't things for just the super Christians. This is, this is for all of us. So what are those five things? And you can pray. You can pray for the nations. As you see the news, as you see um, what's happening around the world, you can pray for the church. You can pray for God's glory to be known. There's a great website. Um, it's called joshuaproject.net. 
Um, anyway, joshuaproject.net, take note of it. They have a, an app, and um, you can set up to receive a daily reminder that will give you, oh, nice, well done. Okay, so joshuaproject.net, um, it is uh, a website that you can get a daily reminder of a people group, an unreached people group to pray for, and it'll just ding on your phone, and you can look, and you can pray for that. Um, the second thing you can do, every person can do, you can send. So you can pray, you can send. What I mean by send, I mean pick a missionary and pray for that missionary specifically and join their financial support team. Make a contribution to help send a missionary. So you can go or you can pray, you can send, you can welcome is the third one. So you guys, we all live here in East Texas. The nations are moving here, right? There are people from all over the world that live right here. You can go to most donut stops and you'll find a different nationality. You can go to most uh, nail salons and you'll find different nationalities, right? There's people that are here. And UT Tyler, international students, there are 300 international students that are here from all around the nation. And while they are here, can we welcome them? Can we build friendship? Can we show them the love of Christ? So pray, send, welcome, go. And everybody can go on a short-term trip. And even if you can't go on a short-term trip, we're going to start working on around Bethel how to do a virtual mission trip so you can participate in mission trips virtually until the virus season is over. But then you can go for a week, go short-term, go for a midterm, go for a month. Or maybe God would call you to go long-term, to go to one of these challenging places in the world and live for him. So the last thing I would say is you can mobilize. So one thing that you heard from me today, one thing you learned um, in this message, and think of somebody that you can tell. You can just tell one fact, something that you found out about God's glory among all the nations, and you tell one person, and that's the process of mobilizing. It's helping people see what's on God's heart. So let me say, um, I hope that you have heard me and seen from God's word from Genesis to Revelation, the whole purpose that we exist, the reason God made us, it's for his glory to fill the earth. It's what Habakkuk said, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to fill the earth. And we get to be a part of that. We can be a part by praying, sending, welcoming, going, and by mobilizing. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.